In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. O God, you taught the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us in the same Spirit to be truly wise, endeavor to rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Mary, Mother of the Church, pray for us. Saint Joseph, terror of demons, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Please stand. The Lord be with you. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were heathen, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you may have been moved. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus, be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of working, but it is the same God who inspires them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are inspired by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I was a little boy, my parents were part of a charismatic prayer group in Spanish, La Renovación, the Renewal. And when we'd go to these meetings, my siblings and I, we always felt a little estranged because we didn't know Spanish all that well. And also we'd feel awkward as we saw the adults singing praises to God and you know, maybe jumping and waving their hands. And, and my parents would try to get us, oh, come on, get up, you know, dance. And we're like, oh, no, no, because especially around middle school, I wanted to be cool. <laughs> uh, but uh, at these prayer meetings, a uh, number of times, I, I'd hear people praying in tongues, people singing in tongues. Uh, I, I was prayed over various times. So the very first time, I remember just this feeling of just getting happier and happier, like I was just being filled with joy. And at one of these prayer meetings, there was someone speaking in tongues, 
and there was another person interpreting what they were saying for the people there. And in the course of the message, the person said, there are two little lambs here that will be serving the Lord. Take care of them. And my mom says that at that moment, she turned and she looked at, at us, her children, and she looked at me and my sister, and she had the strong sense that we were going to be those two little lambs serving the Lord. I'm the fourth of, of five children. A beautiful story here. My, my mother, after my older brother, he's the oldest, after Luis was born, she was told by the doctor she probably wouldn't have any more kids. And she prayed for years to the Sacred Heart of Jesus for more children. And it took years. She was praying for 12 years, telling God, please grant me more children. May they love you as much as I do, if not more. And if you want to make them priests and nuns, that's, that's fine with me. And 12 years later, my sister was born, who is now known as Sister Agnes Maria, with the Ann Arbor Dominican Sisters of Mary, Mother of the Eucharist. A year later, my other sister was born. Two years later, myself. And four years later, my younger brother, Javier. So two religious vocations in the family. Uh, blessed be God. Uh, when, when he answers prayer, he answers in abundance. Right? Four more children. And I love my, my family so much. Um, but the charismatic renewal was a part of my discernment of the priesthood. There was another time when I was probably around high school when I was being prayed over. And the person praying over me said, Lord, you are calling this young man to a religious vocation. Um, and when people are praying over you, don't necessarily take everything they say as like gospel, that they can't be wrong. But you know, this was something to take to prayer, and that did help me to be able to open my heart to my religious vocation. So for me, the charismatic renewal was always a positive experience. When I got to seminary, uh, I found mixed feelings about the charismatic movement. Some seminarians, some priests were in favor of it. Others, I found, were very weary of it. Some were very strongly opposed to it. A number of them had had negative experiences with it. They had encountered prayer groups where they were not entirely faithful to the church. Uh, some accused the charismatic movement of saying, well, this, is, this is a Protestant thing that has creeped into the church. This is not really Catholic. This is not something that we should support. And fortunately for me, uh, one of my brothers in formation, who's now a priest, Father Kenneth Dracy, um, he encountered all this too in this confusion, and, and he did his research, and he did a presentation for the seminarians on what he found. Um, and this helped clarify a number of things. So in this talk, I hope to present a, a little bit about the history of the charismatic renewal um, in the church, uh, what are the issues or concerns that we might need to be wary of? Um, is, is it from God? Uh, what is the nature of the extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit? We hear them described in that first reading that we read today. So we'll be going into this tonight. Um, first point to, to note is that the extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit, the charismatic gifts, uh, tongues, prophecy, exhortation, different things mentioned in that scripture passage, uh, they have as their purpose building up the church. This is the main purpose of these extraordinary gifts, building up of the church and the unity of the church. When we look at Pentecost, the first great outpouring of the Spirit upon the church, then we, we read in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all 
together in one place, and suddenly a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributed and resting on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we know after this, they went out and they preached Christ and the people from various nations all heard them in their own language. This is a special aspect of the gift of tongues at times. And so many people converted to faith in Jesus Christ. They repented of their sins. 3,000 were baptized that day. The church was built up. And there was this unity of the the believers from different scattered nations. They're being brought into the unity of the church. So that's the first key point is the purpose of the gifts is the unity and buildup of the church. Some people claim that, well, that was just for the apostolic times, right? the time of the apostles to give the church a jump start, uh, the manifestations of miracles and different ways that the Spirit showed itself to confirm the message of the apostles. Uh, but, but since then, no, it, it's ended, and it's wrong to try to invoke this again. Well, that, that's not what we find when we look in the church fathers and those who were the successors of the apostles, those who lived uh, uh, the cent- first few centuries. Justin Martyr, he was writing in his dialogue with Trifo in chapter uh, 82, he's talking about the prophetical gifts, and he's talking about how the gifts that used to belong to the Jews, to the, the Old Testament people of God, have now transferred to the New Testament people of God. He says, for the prophetical gifts remain with us even to the present time. And hence, you ought to understand that the gifts formerly among your nation have been transferred to us. And just as there were false prophets contemporaneous with your holy prophets, so are there now many false teachers among us of whom our Lord forewarned us to beware. So yes, the the gifts of the Holy Spirit, especially he's talking about prophecy, continue, uh, but even then there's a a warning to be weary, right? There's false prophets. Uh, Prophecy in this sense, it's not necessarily always foretelling the future. That's how we tend to think of prophecy. person who points towards the future says what's going to happen. In those times, prophecy was understood as mainly telling forth a message of God and letting people know the will of God, the message of God. Sometimes that included predicting things that were going to happen. If people don't repent of their sins and keep up with their idolatry, certain things are going to happen, and they'd come true. Uh, but mainly it's a forth teller, not so much a fortune teller. It's a person sent to tell forth the will of God. St. John Chrysostom, another one of the early church fathers, and a doctor of the church, he wrote in one of his homilies, For as the apostles themselves had received this sign first, so also the faithful went on receiving it. I mean, he says, the gift of tongues. Yet not this only, but also many others, the other charismatic gifts, inasmuch as many used even to raise the dead and to cast out devils and to perform many other such wonders. And they had gifts too, some less and some more. Remember St. Paul saying to strive for the higher gifts? There's a recognition of some being greater than others. But more abundant than all was the gift of tongues among them. And this became to them a cause of division, not from its own nature. Remember, the purpose of the gifts is to unite the church. But he mentions it became a cause of division, not from its own nature, but from the perverseness of them 
that had received it. People didn't respond to the gifts the right way, with humility, in that on the one hand, the possessors of the greater gifts were lifted up against them that had the lesser. And these, again, were grieved and envied the owners of the greater. So what's meant to be a source of unity because of the fallenness of our human nature, they started letting it become a source of division. And so what's implied in this homily is that the gifts eventually did begin to cease and not be seen as much because they were neglected. People stopped asking for them. They stopped praying for them. They stopped seeing them as a positive thing. So another key point here is that when we're praying for the gifts, these extraordinary gifts of the Spirit, we need the right intention, especially humility. We need that, that purpose of we want to build up the church. It's not for my own glory. I want to help build up the kingdom of God. And so we ask God for great humility if we, are, if we have these gifts come upon us. Uh, let's fast forward centuries closer to our own time. In the late 1800s, Pope Leo XIII was urged by a very holy woman, Blessed Elena Guerra, foundress of the Oblate Sisters of the Holy Spirit in Lucca. She urged him to, to lead the church back to the upper room, to lead them back to a new Pentecost, to call for this in prayer. And there were 12 private letters corresponded between them between 1895 and 1903. And this led Pope Leo XIII to issue several documents in which he was urging the church to pray for this new outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a new Pentecost. And at times he used very strong language. He said, I command that these novenas be celebrated by the entire universal church. He commanded all the bishops to participate in this. He called the faithful to celebrate a solemn novena to the Holy Spirit for the intention of the reunion of Christianity. Again, that, that main purpose of unity and building up the church. The bishops didn't respond. There was, so it was such a lack of response. Eventually, after several callings for it, the Pope just did what he could. January 1st of 1901 in Rome, Pope Leo XIII invokes the Holy Spirit upon the church by singing the Veni Creator Spiritus, that special hymn calling upon the Holy Spirit. Veni Creator Spiritus. So beautiful hymn they sing at ordinations. Uh, what happened the exact same day? January 1st in 1901 in Topeka, Kansas, a group of Protestants at Bethel College and Bible School who had been praying for a while to the Holy Spirit to, to come upon them as in the Acts of the Apostles. They had been praying to be able to receive the Holy Spirit for, for, for Jesus Christ, to build up the, the, the body of Christ, to bring believers to him. And the Spirit manifested itself among them. They began praying in tongues. Uh, they ended up working miracles and different manifestations of the Spirit. These different gifts were were sent upon them, and there were a lot of conversions around them to Jesus Christ. Uh, so the Pope, he's praying for it upon the church, and the Protestants get zapped with the Holy Spirit first. <laughs> All right, now, it, here's another key point. Uh, the, the extraordinary gifts of the Holy Spirit, they don't necessarily guarantee that the person having them, that everything they say is true and infallible, uh, that this person is a saint and we trust everything they say. The fact that it fell upon a group of Pentecostals first, 
uh, doesn't mean that, oh, the Pentecostal church must be the one true church. Uh, no. Uh, we know Jesus Christ founded the Catholic Church. It's the one that trace, traces back all the way, the same structure, right? The successors of the apostles and of St. Peter, the Pope, and the bishops. Uh, there's so much research we can do to, to go into that. Yes, this is the Church of Christ. Uh, but uh, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit's not going to be at work in non-Catholic Christians who have a lot of faith, right? Uh, Non-Catholic Christians filled with faith, wanting to serve Jesus, and they're opening their hearts to the Holy Spirit. He'll, he'll work with that, right? He, and, and we know ultimate goal, he's going to try to bring them into the fullness of truth in the Catholic Church. But it falls on them first. Years later, 1967, is when it's first documented as coming upon a group of Catholics. Patty Gallagher and a number of other Catholics were on a special retreat, and they had been talking with Protestant groups about how to open themselves to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And at that retreat, the Holy Spirit came upon them as they had surrendered themselves to him, being willing to embrace whatever God's will was for them for the buildup of the church, even if that included the cross. And so they began manifesting also the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And from this point forward, there is organic development of this charismatic movement under the obedience of their bishops. It didn't just go by itself. They were obedient to the authorities of the church. Uh, they were obedient to the doctrine of the church. And as long as there's fidelity to the church, we don't start thinking, oh, well, I have the Holy Spirit and he's guiding me and I'm going to believe whatever, even if it's contradicting what's always been taught in the church. No, we know the Holy Spirit's not going to contradict himself. The Holy Spirit's not going to lead us to be disobedient to the church. Whenever the church is looking into apparitions or to supposed saints, Right? They always look for uh, obedience. That's the first movement of the Holy Spirit, obedience and, and humility. Right? They look, is this person humble? Are they growing in holiness? Uh, Padre Pio, there, he was suspect for a while by a number of authorities in the church, and they told him that he was not allowed to celebrate Mass publicly for a while. Uh, he obeyed. Uh, St. Aloysius Gonzaga, he was accused of improprieties, and for a while he was told not to receive Holy Communion. He knew he was still in the state of grace, that he could receive Holy Communion, but because he was told not to, he obeyed. Right, so where there's obedience and humility, right, this is a sign that the Holy Spirit is at work. Uh, there are various points when different popes uh, gave their approval of the charismatic movement. Uh, there's uh, Pope John Paul II, uh, Pope Paul VI, Pope John XXIII, at different points, usually on Pentecost Day, if they're addressing a group of charismatics, they give their approval to the movement that, yes, we are praying for renewal by the Holy Spirit, but we want it to be authentic renewal, they do say. And with time going on, we do see warnings come up about uh, tensions arising. May 30, 1998, in a meeting with ecclesial movements, Pope John Paul II, he said, the, charismatic, the Catholic charismatic movement, the birth of it and spread, has brought to the church's life an unexpected newness, which, which is sometimes disruptive. This has given rise to questions, uneasiness, and tensions. At times, it has led to presumptions and excesses on the one hand, you know, some people say, oh, I got to the point of my charismatic spirituality that I didn't need to go to Mass anymore. 
Um, wrong. No, the Holy Spirit's not going to be moving us to that. Oh, yeah, the Holy Spirit led me to re realize that we don't need to belong to a specific church. Uh, no, right? People end up becoming prideful, presumptuous, uh, trusting themselves more than what's always been taught. So presumptions and excesses on the one hand, and on the other, to numerous prejudices and reservations. You know, people being suspect of the charismatic movement, thinking it's, it's all bad. It was a testing period for their fidelity and an important occasion for verifying the authenticity of their charisms. Today, a new stage is unfolding before you, that of ecclesial maturity. This does not mean that all problems have been solved. Rather, it is a challenge, a road to take. The church expects from you the mature fruits of communion and commitment. And so again, pointing us back to the main purpose of these gifts, the unity of the church, the communion, and this commitment to the truth. So if we do our research, and Father Ken, he had a lot more that I'm not even able to share with you in this shorter talk. Um, it shows that the, the charismatic renewal movement itself is not in question. The methodology of you know, calling for the Holy Spirit and being open to those gifts. Uh, what, is, what, the, what the red flags come up is any ecclesial or doctrinal issues, if there's not obedience or submission to the church. Um, again, the whole point, I'll stress it over and over again, unity of the church. Some people misled, uh, thinking that the Holy Spirit is, is leading them. Uh, they get to a false ecumenism, uh, th thinking that it doesn't matter what religion you are. Uh, Jesus is just one path among many. It doesn't matter what church you belong to. Uh, no, this is false. The Holy Spirit is always going to be moving us toward unity in the church. What is baptism in the Holy Spirit? This is a phrase that is used in the charismatic movement. And some people are suspect of it, saying, you know, there's only one baptism. We don't we need another one. Uh, well, it's not in contradiction to the baptism we received you know, as infants or just coming into the church. The sacrament of baptism, this is, this is something distinct. The USCCB, speaking on the charismatic renewal, said that baptism in the Holy Spirit is understood as the reawakening in Christian experience of the presence and action of the Holy Spirit given in Christian initiation. Uh, at baptism, we receive the Holy Spirit and, and all the virtues and gifts that we need for holiness. In confirmation, the Holy Spirit comes upon us anew to strengthen those gifts. So they're already there through the sacraments, but this baptism in the Holy Spirit is, is a reawakening of that. It's like stirring uh, someone used the image of you have milk and you have like little pieces of chocolate at the bottom of it and you stir the, the milk and the chocolate and it makes that yummy <laughs> chocolate milk. Um, so our soul being stirred up by the Holy Spirit, these gifts that are already there. We encourage the whole church to look into and embrace baptism in the Holy Spirit as the power of personal and communal transformation with all the graces and charisms needed for the upbuilding of the church and for our mission in the world. Father Ranero Cantalamesa, he was the, the preacher of the papal household for Pope John Paul II and also for Benedict XVI. He said, baptism in the spirit is not a human invention, it is a divine invention, a renewal of baptism and the whole Christian life of all the sacraments. He says it helps release unreleased sacraments. We might not have ever heard that phrase, unreleased sacraments. What does he mean? Well, a sacrament can be valid 
and yet the graces of that sacrament might be unreleased. An example that he gives is that of marriage. A couple can present themselves for marriage in the church, and they might be in mortal sin, uh, but that does not preclude a valid marriage. The consent makes the marriage. So as long as they give that free consent to a marriage that is permanent, faithful, open to life, they're not holding anything back there. God creates the bond between their souls, and he, they, they have the promise of all the graces they're going to need to live as a living image of Christ and his church, but they're not awakened yet. They're not released yet because they're in the state of mortal sin. Well, once they go to confession and receive sanctifying grace anew, now all the sacramental graces of their marriage can also come into play. And so people going into confirmation, a lot of them come out, especially our teenagers, saying, I spent two years preparing for this. I don't feel any different. Well, uh, think, compare this to the catechumens of the early church, you know, the first centuries. They'd go through three years of intense preparation, not just a one hour a week. Uh, they would, their whole life was scrutinized. They, they, they renewed their whole life for Jesus Christ, and by the time of their initiation, baptism, confirmation, the first Holy Communion, right, they were ready to be set on fire and with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Mother Angelica was prayed over for a release of the Spirit, and the whole community ended up receiving this baptism of the Holy Spirit. So at this point, let us describe some of these extraordinary gifts. Again, they're given for the common good, for the buildup of the church. Without this intention, it can cause division. But we want, if we have the proper intention, we want to open ourselves to this. Uh, the gift of prophecy, we mentioned, not so much telling the future, but uh, telling the message of God, especially the priests, the bishops. They are sent out. They are given a special charism of preaching the truth. Hopefully they are faithful to that. This one uh, is one of the higher gifts to be sought at after to help uh, bring people to Christ. We hear Moses say, Would that all the people of the Lord were prophets. Numbers eleven twenty nine. There's that prophecy of, of Joel uh, saying that the spirit, will, the prophet Joel, that the spirit would be poured upon the peoples and, and they would prophesy. The gift of teaching. This is a special gift of the Holy Spirit to be able to teach the faith well, to be able to explain it on a level where people can understand it, uh, especially Fathers of Mercy, uh, mission preachers. Uh, we, we also receive a charism of being able to, to preach well, to teach well. Uh, and so that some have said, you know, people who weren't that great of a preacher before they got ordained, once they were ordained for us, they became a good preacher. Some who, someone who was good became great. Right? There are special charisms tied to special communities. A community of Franciscans will receive a special charism for gospel poverty. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit to be able to be totally detached from all goods. And there's different levels of, of poverty in different communities. Celibacy, that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, uh, those who are able to receive this, let him receive it. Uh, to be able to devote yourself totally to God, body and soul, for the sake of the kingdom, this, is, this requires a special grace from God. And it can be lived very joyfully with that. The gift of exhortation. Uh, exhort, to exhort means to encourage. And this is a very important gift because the devil is always at work to discourage us. Right? So we want to have people, we want to have family, friends, you know, our fellow Christians, 
encouraging us uh, to keep the faith, encouraging us to grow in virtue, especially within a marriage. We want a husband and wife encouraging each other to go to confession regularly, to, to make Eucharistic adoration, to pray the rosary as a family, encouraging each other to grow in the faith. Tough time falls upon the family. Right? Okay, we accept this as a cross from, from God for the salvation of souls, and we're going to offer it with love for him. I remember hearing so many times uh, in those charismatic prayer meetings and people telling each other, animo, animo, which in Spanish it's like encouragement, right? Uh, have faith, have trust in God. He's with you. The gift of healing. Right? We tend to think that's the, the most awesome thing because we see someone get physically healed, right? It's right there before our eyes. We're like, oh, this is amazing. Uh, it's, it's a very... It was a very useful gift in the early church. People saw miraculous healings. Uh, they would be quicker to convert. And, and these, this happens still, these gifts, in the lives of the saints. Uh, Padre Pio had gifts of healing. Uh, other saints, uh, uh, St. Vincent Frere, a Dominican, who raised so many people from the dead, including a baby that had been chopped up. Uh, look up St. Vincent Frere. It's awesome. There's a book, uh, Saints That Raised Souls from the dead, something like that. I'm, that might not be the exact title, but very awesome. Uh, discernment of spirits. Uh, this is the supernatural ability to be able to discern the source of an action or a movement uh, when it comes to people suspect of possession, demonic possession. Well, they look into it to see if this a natural cause, is it something psychological, or is this more uh, something on the supernatural plane? Uh, there are people with the gift to be able to discern that. The gift of deliverance, you know, casting out demons, driving out demons. Uh, here we need to be careful. Right? Lay people, we don't want to be uh, commanding demons to leave. I right? don't want to be trying to take on demons face-to-face, uh, -face, one -on one-on-one. Uh, no, there's deputed uh, exorcists, right? They receive a special uh, sending forth to do this. There's formal exorcisms. There are prayers of minor exorcisms that can be used by others. Uh, when you're praying for, for God to deliver you, uh, it's always a matter of asking. Right? In the name of Jesus, you know, God, please let me be liberated from, from any evil spirits that might be afflicting me or my family. The St. Michael prayer is a very powerful prayer against the devil. Uh, those who have the, the charge of exorcism, well, they're, they're, there's the more confrontational uh, battle going on, and they have to prepare for that with lots of prayer and fasting. The gift of tongues. Uh, this is the most common gift. It's considered one of the lesser ones because it, it's, it's the most common, and there's different forms of it. Four main types of praying in tongues, uh, or, or having the gift of tongues. First is praying in tongues. There's singing in tongues. There's speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues. And those are the main four, but and there's other ones too, like the apostles where everybody heard them in their own language. And the first two, praying in tongues and singing in tongues, this is for the buildup of the individual. This can help build up their faith and their love of God. It's meant to flow from a love of God. That's the motivation for praying or singing in tongues. The other two, the latter two, speaking in tongues and interpretation, this is for the buildup of the community, the buildup of the group, the, the church. Uh, someone speaking in tongues might have a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, and someone else with the interpretation of tongues is able to let the community know what is being said. And here we, we always want to make sure, well, with all of this, we always want to be in the state of grace. 
I heard of one person who got invited to a charismatic prayer meeting and, and he left in the middle of it and his friend followed him and said, why did you leave? And he said, because I know some of those languages that I was hearing. And some of those people were praising God and others were cursing God. So we want to make sure we're in the state of grace and we're asking for the Holy Spirit to move us because the evil spirits don't play fair. Uh, and I will actually, they are very legalistic. So if we have given them permission by some mortal sin, then they're going to do what they can to afflict us and take control. So always be in the state of grace. Always have that virtue of humility and, and submission to the teachings of the church. Common misconceptions about the gifts. Uh, not everyone will receive the gift of tongues. There are some people who say that everyone is meant to receive the gift of tongues. If you don't have it, then uh, you haven't received the Holy Spirit in this special way. Uh, this is common among, uh, among Pentecostals. They think that, that everyone's supposed to receive it. it. Again, it's very common. Around 86% of people in the charismatic renewal movement uh, report having the gift of tongues, some aspect of it. Uh, some suggest that if you're not receiving it, it could be a matter of intellectual blockage. Uh, in, could, with the gift of tongues, it's very, very interesting because you know, it sounds like just babble, right? It sounds like baby talk. And it's like, is this person just making this up? Uh, when I would hear that as a kid, I was, what, what's going on here? And my parents say, oh, this is, this is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it, a person could just babble and say, oh, I have the gift of tongues. Uh, but it's, it's humbling, it's humiliating. It humiliates the intellect to pray or sing in tongues and not necessarily know what's being said. For in the state of grace, we know it's all praise of God, uh, but we want to open ourselves to it. Pride is you know, the root of all sins, so again, God looks for opportunities to humble us. Uh, it's also a very key point here. I think I might have touched on it already, but uh, the fact that someone has charismatic gifts is, does not necessarily mean that they're holy. Uh, a person might have a great gift of preaching. He's very eloquent. And people say, oh, Father Ricardo, you're so holy. <laughs> I say, please pray for me. <laughs> right? uh, the gift of, of being eloquent in preaching or knowing a lot, it, it doesn't necessarily mean the person's holy. A, a priest could be in mortal sin. Uh, we know that the sacraments, they, they work ex opere operato, which means by virtue of the deed being done. When the sacrament is performed with the right intention of the priest, uh, it, it's, it's effective, it's valid, even if the priest might be in a mortal sin. As someone said one time they, they heard a person claim that, oh, God revealed to me a vision that if a priest is in mortal sin, the Mass isn't valid. And no, that, that's, that's, that's heretical, that's not true. Right? Jesus Christ has not made the sacraments dependent on the holiness of the minister. He can work even through broken instruments. And similarly with these, these charismatic gifts, uh, they're for the buildup of the church, uh, not, doesn't necessarily mean that the person is growing in holiness if they don't have the proper intention, but God can work through them. And so with this, again, the, the, exhort, the exhortation, the, the importance of humility. If we pray for, some of the, for, for these gifts and the Holy Spirit gives it to us, let us never th become prideful, like St. John Chrysostom talked about. Oh, they were comparing themselves to each other. Uh, no, we're always humble about it, uh, and, and it's, it's all for the glory of God. Charismatic groups need the guidance of well-formed priests. If they have a priest that can guide them in, in the doctrine of the church, and if somebody utters something that's not in accord with the church, then they need someone who knows the faith well to be able to guide them. Some ending counsels regarding this. Uh, again, all this, it's, it's, hope, it's meant to be encouraging. 
right, to open yourself to these gifts. Don't be afraid to ask for them. Uh, live in the state of grace. Uh, pray with the proper intention that it be for the build-up of the church. Uh, always ask for more humility and humble yourself, knowing that you know, without God we can do nothing. And if we are open to this, then we can, we can be contributing greatly to the build-up of the church. The Holy Spirit wants to pour himself upon us. He wants us to be effective ministers, effective missionaries out there in the world. And the thought comes to my mind, you know, we waste so much time on trivial things. Uh, God wants more soldiers. This is what we were made in confirmation, right? marked as soldiers of Christ. We want to be ready to give ourselves fully over to the service of God. Lord, take my life, take everything, and, and use it for the buildup of the church. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this new outpouring of the Holy Spirit that you have granted to your faithful followers, to your believers, to Christians, and to your church. We ask that, sh that you open our hearts to be able to turn our lives completely over to Christ, to hold nothing back, to invite the manifestation of the, the Spirit in our life, in our marriages, in our families, in our parish communities, that we might be able to draw more souls to Jesus Christ. Bless us with that great virtue of humility. Set us on fire with charity. Let us give ourselves completely over to the salvation of souls. We pray all this through the intercession of Mary, Mother of the Church, the intercession of all those saints and angels in heaven, and in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.